Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Hacked History, the podcast where we're starting to record weekly, and we're going to keep trying to do that. <laughs> trying to be professional against our better interests. Yes, but we're trying to do that. Uh, we're back with another episode today. No guest today. Um, we're we're going to have our guests coming in the future, but today, yeah. it's just Jake and I. It's just, yeah. just us. Throwing it back a little bit. Yep. And I'll tell you what, uh, hopefully... Throwing it way back. <laughs> if you thought we were doing a regular episode, then clearly you haven't listened to this podcast. Because <laughs> Jake, from what I've heard, has got a real doozy for us today. Oh, yeah. But before we get to that, reminder out there to all of you on the social media land, if you listen to us for the first time or the 100th time, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow us on <laughs> on Facebook, Hacked <laughs> History. You can follow us on Instagram at Hacked underscore History. You can find us on TikTok at Hacked History. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Hacked History. Um, and you can send us an email at HackedHistory101 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, um, please go follow us out there and you can send us and contact us if you really want to. Um, we try to put up, I've been putting out some interesting content. We've got some fun audiogram videos from some of the episodes you can find on our TikTok and on our Instagram. Um, and if you want to send us any questions, you can do it via email, so far none of you have, um, which means we're either doing a good job on research or none of you fuckers care. Um, regardless, it's probably the latter. <laughs> we really greatly appreciate you listening. Um, and yeah, and if you have time, please go out there and rate us, we really appreciate that. Um, and with that, we're going to get into today's topic. Jake, Two take days. it away, my friend. Alright, Lucas, you might be thinking to yourself, what does Jake like the most to do? Boats! <laughs> <laughs> You said that so aggressively. You might be thinking to yourself, Lucas, boats! Well, you're right. The answer's boats! You're right. So, I'm a bit of a... I'm a bit of a... <laughs> fuck me. He's a bit of a boat fanatic. I am. He's a boat fiend, one some might people say, might say. One might say... One might say, I'm a bit of a boat fanatic. A bit of a boat fanatic, a you bit, say? A bit of a boat fanatic. So, one of my sort of areas that I like to specifically research is anything nautical because i'm just that sad um sad or just amazing chick i don't know I i'll say this much i'm as amazing as the room is amazing the movie not the actor. okay but that movie that's a cult classic so are you calling yourself a cult classic yeah in the same way as like a cult is classical maybe but <laughs> jonestown <laughs> jonestown no no are so, we playing scattergories <laughs> scattergories no my um my i guess it has been the bait of my existence, anybody who's known me since childhood, that for some whatever reason, the ocean just kind of draws my interest. Listen, I've known this man since middle school, and I remember <laughs> being in, like, history class, and this man would have about two boat books on his desk and be reading in between lectures. I would have fucking read in between this lectures. This man's a fucking animal. Man, I... <laughs> it's just and the best shame. way possible... And he does keg stands! Keg stand! Book stand! Book stand! Oh, God. So... When read I, that book. Read that book. Do some. <laughs> do some. Yeah. So when I was when we were starting out in our thinking for our Cold War series, I guess, or Cold War season, which, which we haven't forgot about, by the way, we're no, still no. going to cover Cold War stuff. It's just going to be intermittently because Jake and I found out we can't do topical seasons. We really wanted to. It just doesn't work for our brains. And yeah, that's basically where we're at with yeah, that. Yeah. So in this case, what I decided I wanted to talk about was a mixture of two things. It was similar, I would say to our basic fare for a Cold War episode talking about, the you know, all the CIA and the Russians and all that fun shit. Oh, and, yes. And, you know, how the, all that goes and that we're all trying to get a one-up on each other. But on top this of This isn't which, topical at all, Jake. No, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and the other one is that we, and specifically, I wanted to try to do something that was kind of akin... Mm, I'm, I don't want to say it's not true crime, not by a long shot, but it's definitely... Let's say spy novel, sleuthy, right? Spy novel, yeah. kind of conspiracy based. So, by the way, before we get into this, I just want to say that we haven't really had a chance to, to mention this in the podcast, but we definitely all of our support and thoughts and uh, prayers and everything is going to the people in the Ukraine right now and uh, that region that are being affected by the awful shit Russia is doing. Yeah, uh, we know that the people of Russia, you have been misled. I yes. would hope. I would yes. hope you are not all supporting this. Well, and Yuri isn't supporting it, but Yuri also doesn't have access to it's the It's important that we don't yell at our Russian business owners or neighbors or punish them because they're not doing these It's the things. same with the pandemic. Don't fucking gang up on Chinese people because they didn't do anything. Don't be a fucking dickwad. So anyway, that's our brief little TED Talk. Um, just, uh, I mean, if you're listening to this in Ukraine, by uh, all means... By uh, somehow. <laughs> somehow. We love you. And uh, please hang in there. And Lucas uh, is also part Ukrainian. Yes, um, actually, 
great-grandmother, my father's uh, side, uh, my great-grandmother um, and her family actually came directly from the Ukraine. Oddly and, enough, probably escaping the Russians. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, probably to, to escape yeah. the Russians in the early 1900s. So, um, well, that's been a while off. Um, you know, I, we called my great-grandmother Baba, which is, like, short for Babushka, which is, Babushka. Which is oh. that in Russian. So, you know, like, I'm just saying, and, and another part of my family, there's Russian heritage in. So, I... <laughs> <laughs> I the point is this is complicated and well uh, you know um I've been away from that region or, I, my family mom and dad are fighting again well my family's oh, been away from that region for a long time um just uh you know it's uh, it's difficult um but you know we can only do so much here from our end but if you can't do anything to help those people um you're in a position to do so um you know definitely a, a great cost to, to do that too so anyway yeah. um that's our little ted talk um back to uh, spy novels yeah so spy in, in the past we're going back past. to the past we're blasting back to the past <laughs> going back to the past let's go back in time that's the power of time <laughs> oh, God. that's the power of clocks no <laughs> so the thing that i wanted to focus on was a half mystery half like crazy fucking spy novel it's this story of the loss of a Russian ballistic missile submarine by the name of K-129. Now, half of the mystery part that we will touch on, probably either today or in the coming episode. It's probably a multi-parter episode. It's a two-part at the minimum, maybe three. We might dedicate just that third part to looking over the... Just one programming note. After this, we're going to be talking about uh, the space program. and We're going to be going back to the Nazi era, since a lot of you seem to really like our Adolf Hitler episode. Don't worry, we have more Nazi content coming for you. Operation Paperclip and all that fun stuff. Operation Paperclip, we're talking about the racist space, we're talking about Werner Von Braun and all the shit that he did. Talking about Yuri uh, Gregarian. Gregarian, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so in this situation, the mystery of this submarine, how it went down, and then the project that the CIA basically undertook to try to recover it from the bottom, which no one had done before called Project Azorian, or what they termed it as at the time was Project Jennifer. Will- Project Jennifer yeah, or no. Project Azorian? Yeah. Those are two specifically different names. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was weird, because I think Jennifer was, like, the CIA's cover operation, and then, like, Azorian was, like, the actual you think, operation. <laughs> you think they talked about it, like, like it was, like, some woman, some guy was cheating on his wife with, like, oh, man, how's Project Jennifer going? Did you slip it in yet? <laughs> Project Jennifer's throwing it back! No. I mean, I was just... I'm, okay, and again, I'm not trying to be a misogynist here. I'm just, scumbag. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to light the mood. Oh, uh, let's just remember that you quoted in the Cod Wars episode that was the clit of the sea, and I've not gotten over that. You know, I did do that. I love that. I love that you said that. So it's one of my favorite references I've ever made, actually. Yeah. So we're gonna start with the mystery, because that's basically how this is going to begin. And fuck you if you don't like it. We joined the gang. <laughs> we, the gang The gang causes an international incident. <laughs> so, we're going to focus on the ship itself first. The KE-129 was a Project 629A NATO designation Gulf II ballistic missile submarine attached to the Soviet Navy's Pacific section. So, to, in English, this is a nuclear submarine... In a way. So, the way that this sub worked was that it was, like, the earliest form of what we would say is, like, if you know the nuclear triad, which some of you might if you're listening. We so, have, Jake, what is the nuclear triad? Yeah, it's air bombers, uh, land-based missile silos, and submarine-based missiles. So, it's, it's basically, just so I make sure that I understand, is that basically just the three different things that have nuclear capabilities? As far as I, Okay. Yeah, that is, like, our, our sort of, quote-unquote, safety net. Say if we're attacked by nuclear forces, if one of those gets wiped out, we should have another and, one in the deck. Okay, right. So happen. the idea is that you can have multiple things that you can use so that if one of... Yeah, exactly. So if one of your capabilities is completely useless, you still have two of the ways to fuck people. Pretty much, yeah. So in this case, K-129 was an early model nuclear submarine where we think of like Hunt for Red October and things like that where we look at like massive submarines with like a dozen to 20 missiles on them. This was like early, early. So this submarine would have had to get real close to the coast. It only had three missiles. And actually, oddly enough, it wasn't nuclear powered. It was powered by like diesel engines. It wasn't the power of love. It was not the power of love. Surprisingly (laughs) enough, it was also not the power of hatred of another group of people based on an ideology either. It wasn't Huey Lewis and the Mushroom Mushroom Clouds. No, actually. Wow. (laughs) 
production for this submarine began in 1958 at the Komsomolsk on Amur shipyard in the far eastern part of Russia, which was its Pacific coast. In late December of 1959, the K-129 was declared ready for service and assigned to what would be its home port in Rybatsi in the Kamchatka region in 1960. So, Jake, do you know where that region is in Russia? Just to give Basically, us some perspective. So, to give you some perspective of what it would look like, Kamchatka in that area, and Lucas here, you could probably bring up the map that I sent you. Yes. Is... And we'll have that map on the website, right? Yeah, Jake? Is, yeah, I will. It is a peninsula that juts off of sort of the Russian mainland. There, it's very close to the Alaskan islands and very close to. So we're talking Japan. Uh, we're yeah. talking, yeah. So we're definitely talking uh, south, er, s- south, north, no, north ugh, eastern Asia. E- definitely eastern, eastern Asia, Asia and close to Asia, and yeah. close to um, northwestern uh, North America. We're yeah, talking very about much in, that in the region, far yeah. northern Like northern. where the Bering Strait is and things yeah. like that. Okay. So in it was assigned to this as sort of its deterrent force. And and again, by 1960, it was a fairly modern boat. By age standards of her time from like 1958 to 1964, the K-129 was obviously a fairly modern weapon, sporting a length of 330 feet, 100 meters, which actually, surprisingly, is just under the length of an average football field. For those of you who wondered what that was. Nice. And a maximum displacement of 2,743 tons on the surface and 2,700 under the water. Which, actually, th- I think I got those mixed up. It was 2,700 on the surface and 2,743 underwater. It was belonging to... Oh, sorry. The class that the K-129 belonged to was powered by three 2,000-horsepower diesel engines or three electric motors for submerged running. So, basically, why that's important is that a submarine like this is not able to run underwater indefinitely like a nuclear submarine. Where, okay. like, it's, the nuclear sub is self-sufficient. It basically could run for months. So is this sort surface. of because they didn't invent nuclear subs yet, or is this just not a nuclear sub? It was not at the time. Okay. It was not... They hadn't fleshed out technology enough, because, like, the Russians had nuclear submarines, and we did too, but the Russian versions were god-awful. <laughs> they were fucking terrible. So this, in their idea, was still good. And... And when it came in, it was still a reasonable submarine that they could use. As a weapon of war, K-129's main business end was its armaments. So, as a ballistic missile submarine, the Gulf II carried three missile tubes capable of firing a one megaton missile. Uh, specifically... So, I mean, just to... And I didn't mean to cut you off too much here. Yeah, no, but I just mean, like, speaking on, like, location here, there's a reason why they want this in Eastern Asia. Yeah. Really close to North America. It's because they're trying to be like, hey, don't fuck with us Americans. Pretty we much. Got, we got shit right on your door, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Um, that's, that's the way the Russians would work. They would basically take right. a bunch of... And we... I'm pretty sure we would, too. We basically would park... We get shit in, like, Turkey and other yeah, places. Yeah, we, we would park a fucking... Or they would park a nuclear submarine on the, yeah. on the West Coast and just wait. And ideally, nothing would happen. That was the best It was plan. an intimidation tactic. Oh, yeah. in Knowing, it, like, if yes. you fuck with us, we will slap you so hard. We are hard. fully prepared to go hardcore on your ass. This strap-on is longer than my arm. <laughs> We're talking, like, two cucumbers. <laughs> Pretty much. Jesus Christ. How many eggplants and an emoji can we say to how, how bad How many eggplant emojis are we talking about? <laughs> Fuck the, uh... We're, we're talking about a scale the, of one to five. What are we looking at? Fuck, the, th- fuck, fuck the threat levels the government puts out. <laughs> how many cucumbers... How many cucumbers are eggplants? <laughs> What's... How many... How many squirt emojis do we... Oh, God. oh that's so gross. Anyway. Um... Uh, so, in one megaton warhead, it just give you an idea of what kind of damage a submarine like this could be capable of doing in case of a war broke out, is if K-129 had to fire a missile, say... Let's just say towards the center of San Francisco, one megaton warhead. The blast radius of a, of a weapon this big would pretty much wipe out what I would say is central San Francisco. And some so of we're Oakland. talking about at least half a major U.S. city is pretty what you're much. telling me. Yeah, we're talking like, and this is just a one warhead like weapon. I.e., if you drop this thing on there, you're not going to have multiple little warheads blasting the same area, but... You got one massive one that's going to do some fucking damage. It's going to do some fucking... It's a unit. That's a lot of damage. This bitch is... You can't use... It's just... We got to get flex tape down there. Stat, go! (laughs) Let's go ahead and flex tape the city back together. God damn it. That's a lot of damage. He's just cutting boats in half. (laughs) What are we going to do? Can somebody get Phil Swift? (laughs) Oh, God. Phil Swift is just fucking high on cocaine. This is the moment I've been waiting for. My destiny. Get him the sham wow guy so we can bite open some... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 
Him, the Shambo Vince guy. from Shambo. The ghost of fucking what's the his name? The ghost of Billy Mays. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> I just, just imagine the p- pitching fucking 1-800 number fucking store items as they're like standing in the rubble just like... Flexio fixes. <laughs> Flexio fixes everything. He just takes a paint roller and rolls it over the side of an irradiated building. It doesn't do shit. <laughs> no, but he totally lost his mind. You see this hospital that's now cut in half. Shazam! <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to hell for those jokes, but anyway. That's fine. So, like I said, this is not something that to take lightly is it's just a submarine that sinks big fucking whoop yeah and to be clear we're not trying to take this unseriously this shit was serious like oh, we're talking about the middle of the cold war now. and we're again yeah. we're, we're, we, we tend to go back to the 50s and 60s that's when that's the when, shit was the most that's exciting. when the cold war was the most hot yeah i would say that in the <laughs> that's when we were about to bit, yeah. it was about to melt but it yeah. didn't thank god well that's one that yeah i was gonna say if we think about like the cold war in terms of like a dong like that was the time when they was about to nut, and and we were all scared of the recollection of what was going to happen afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was we're not a fun time. to keep the gross jokes coming today. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, honestly, the bad thing is like, why are we joking? What's <laughs> happening in Ukraine right now is 100 oh, percent really, scared the fuck out of me. It's very close to a proxy war. It could be if the U.S. started and joined the war, we would have kind of like a Korea or oh, yeah, or like Chechnya. a Vietnam. In the nineties, but the yeah. problem is, but the problem is, it's different in some ways because Russia is actively trying to invade those countries and just take them over. Oh, and it pretty much and blew. I think it blew the fuck out of a section of Belarus, and now Belarus is like, ah, we're going to war too. Yeah, so not good. I mean, um, um, so but what I'm trying to get at is, um, so, so if you think to the some of the fear and the panic and the anxiety that some of you might have felt in the past few weeks. Um, it's, it's not new. It's very similar to what we're talking about now in this yeah. episode. But I'm going to try not to keep bringing it in today because I know a lot of you are probably very anxious and stressed out. Um, but there are comps is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. But so, that's why we're making jokes. We're not trying to not take this seriously. No, we're just trying just, to... Yeah. This is how we escape, guys. This is, <laughs> this our, is our podcast. This is how we fuck around this is and our fallout deal with shelter, things. If you will. Kind of. This yeah. is a mental fallout shelter. So if you're thinking of shitty years for a submarine to go missing, let me tell you, 1968 was not a good year. <laughs> not, a, not a good one. Not a great one. So by the time the K-129... LBJ had, president, right? Yeah. Had left for its last patrol in 1968. The vessel had was relatively outdated, but it had received a lot of new upgrades, sonar, radar, all that shit fire control so it wasn't it wasn't so outdated that it still wasn't a it wasn't so way. outdated that it, we wouldn't give a shit if we didn't know where it was yeah yeah yeah. and in that case too we have to talk about the crew because these people are again when we think of a submarine sinking <laughs> you've got 83 guys yeah 20 officers and 63 enlisted they don't come home and that's a lot of families that don't know where dad is or to be clear, this is a russian submarine we're talking yes, about right? this is a yes. russian submarine so think of that, and then think of the Soviet Union, and remember, the Soviets are not transparent people. Um, in this case, the human element of K-129 was experienced and competent, and that's going to be very important later on when we talk about theories, if, you know, in this episode or later. Um, on a patrol in question, the K-129 was under the command of Captain First Rank Vladimir Kobzar and Captain Second Rank Alexander Zhurovin. Uh, both of these guys had been with this boat for a long time, so these are not new captains who don't know what they're doing. So, that brings us to the final patrol, February 24th, 1968. So, around nightfall on the 24th of February, K-129 left from Petropavlovsk in Kamchatka, which generally, up until now, I had no way of how to pronounce it until I literally had to listen to it. And the patrol was considered to be routine. Ideally, they would leave their zone, or they would leave their port, patrol the zone off of an American coastline or somewhere in that general vicinity of an american territory or military base and then go home that was what was going to happen the boat had come back however from a recent um mission of less than like two months before and in most cases that's way too short so what happened was that this had just come up unexpectedly and the captain's like half my crew's gone home for vacation and the rest are here I like. I would recommend we don't do this because my guys are tired. But yeah, again, the response to yeah. that we'll talk about later. So it created the boat had completed a previous two month patrol coming from the northeast Pacific, and with half the crew on vacation and the other half 
in port doing maintenance work. Like I said, this unexpected request to return to port was unwelcome, but begrudgingly accepted by the crew. Uh, obviously, the crew and those who were involved fairly assumed that mechanical breakdowns with two other ships had meant that in order to keep the fleet schedule going correctly, they would need to bite the bullet and go and do this thing. Kind of like if you're in a job and you're like, hey, Greg's sick. And Mark had to go home because his bang maid is escaped from his dungeon bunker or whatever. That, you know, you're just going to have to go in for noon when your intention was to go in for three. Like, that's just, just, just you know, just normal stuff. So, upon hearing the news for the unexpected patrol, the division commander overseeing K-129's um, deployment complained to his higher-ups, saying that it wasn't a wise decision. He received the following response from Rear Admiral Krivachukyo, or Krivachuko, Krivruchko. Sorry, I fucked that up so bad. Quote, hey unquote. Man, you, let, let me get one thing clear. Neither of us speak Russian, we're trying. Krivachuko. <laughs> quote, unquote, you can take your report to the latrine. Basically, he, the, his higher up, his higher up, his GM, his general manager said, go fuck yourself. You can take your report to the shithouse, Captain. Pretty much. And then. He basically just went above that guy's head to the fleet commander, and the fleet commander said the same thing, but nicer. <laughs> said, thanks, but no, we, we, you have to go. Thanks, but piss off. Yeah, so with little recourse to change this order, the K-129 was made ready for patrol, and the crew was called back. She left harbor. Her identifying hull number had been painted over so she wouldn't be ID'd by the U.S. spooks that were in the area, because naturally, they want to know when you leave. And they so want to know when you leave the port. <laughs> I had to internalize that. I think I got cancer from that joke. <laughs> so the sub motor, So once the sub was ready, she'd motored up and out of the bay. The K-129 picked up her payload, the three SSN-5 Serb ballistic missiles, and a complement of nuclear-tipped torpedoes. So this bitch is packing. She's ready to go. <laughs> She's packing. She is packing heat. Around 12.15 a.m. on February... As a... <laughs> I just moved no, up from it. Line. <laughs> as a... This bitch... This bitch's dick energy is big. No, it's a... As a, To use the immortal words of uh, Will Ferrell from the movie The Other Guys, she's a big, broad bitch and she likes to wield it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyway, I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. That would hit me. In oh, God. This is... Okay, what's happening right now, these are all the jokes that we couldn't tell last couple weeks because we want to be professional when we have we guys... Had to, we had to do it with Jack. We had to be professional, and then we were supposed to record on the week after, but we couldn't because last minute our guy couldn't make it, so... And then we were supposed to record with a guest this week, but that also didn't happen, so... Yeah. He's in England. The Both of them are in England, so it makes things a little tough, but that's okay. So anyway, um, on the 25th of February, the submarine passed the outskirts of the harbor and out to open sea. At 1 a.m., onshore monitoring stations confirmed that the gulf had submerged and was on its way. Once on its way, Captain Kobza reviewed the instructions and briefed his officers. The K-129 was to sail to their patrol station following a preordained course and adhering to a strict communication schedule. That's going to be important later. Once there, the sub would patrol its small square of ocean off the coast of Hawaii and await the onset of apocalypse while avoiding detection from ASW patrols and U.S. Navy hunter-killer submarines. Uh, again, they don't really do much, but they pretty much just, like, hide. It's cat and mouse, mostly. Well, so what, you, what you find with a lot of this Cold War stuff is it's not necessarily about doing. It's, it's about appearances. Yeah, it's the implication. It's the, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of a joke for that. I couldn't find one. Keep searching, us. <laughs> Ideally, war wouldn't come. The sub and its crew would return home on May 5th. Uh, again, for some well-needed rest. And just remember, too, that if anyone here listening on this podcast, which I never know who's listening, may or may not have experience when it comes to open ocean travel on submarines at this time, Pacific, North Pacific, is a bit of a bitch. A lot of bad weather. <laughs> a lot of the time. So, I mean, what specific types of bad weather, Jake? We're like, talking, what are we talking? Okay, so talking about hurricanes and shit? Or what we're talking, we? like, high seas, 45-foot feet, wa 45 foot waves, snow, some cases, ice, rain, fog. It's just a lot of shit. If you're in a little submarine bobbing around and stuff like that, you get tired of that so fast. Which makes sense, because yeah. obviously you're not trying to drown and shit like that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you have to constantly keep this thing above water when it's intended to be above water. And in a lot of cases, like, if anybody's ever done anything that 
relates to being out in the open ocean. Like, these guys had to do this for, like, two months. And you're just... By the time you're done, you're fucking beat. You're, now, and you're completely exhausted. That's not to mention, if any of these people got seasick, they'd be fucked. Oh, you were <laughs> fucked. Yeah. So... On the way, K-129 would have to spend about 90% of her time submerged to avoid detection, only rising to transmitter position to home base and or changing or charging her batteries, because that's what a diesel submarine had to do. Basically, once the, the batteries were depleted, you had to go up on the surface, run the diesels, the diesels would charge the batteries, and then you would just constantly do this cycle the whole time, as best you could. At this point, the submarine command was expected to receive further radio check-ins once K-129 passed the 180th meridian and when they closed in on their patrol square. This is not what happened. By mid-March, submarine command at Kamchatka had become concerned as K-129 had missed two consecutive radio check-ins. Command transmitted a follow-up on, on the normal fleet broadcast channels instructing K-129 to break radio silence and contact headquarters. Further requests remained unanswered. So, at this point in time, something has happened. It's not normal for a submarine like that to just go silent. And you definitely don't want one of those just going missing. Especially with its payload. Right. Yeah. By the third week of March, Naval Headquarters had to assume the worst and dispatch an alert to K-129 had been deemed missing in action. This eventuality had terrified Soviet Naval Command because they hadn't lost a submarine with... Nuclear ordnance before this point. And it clearly warranted a full response. Three fucking nuclear weapons plus nuclear torpedoes. Well, because their fear right now probably is what, the U.S. took this submarine or the yeah. U.S.? Yeah. Their fear is either the U.S. has fucked with them, because again, this is 1968, the U.S. is fully engaged in Vietnam. We are looking like a bunch of fucking morons on the world stage right now, with things at home being the way they are. You know, we, us in the Soviet Union... Yeah, we've got not quite a detente at this point, but we're definitely like, we hate you, but we're still learned enough of a lesson from Cuba as to not do shit like this. So, that being the case, their concern too, and I think maybe a dogging concern that they didn't want to admit, was that maybe the sub might have gone off on its own to do stuff it wasn't supposed to do. If that makes sense. Right. Um, there's no... Uh, again, and when we do theories, there is no proof of that. But it, in my mind, as a, as a teenager reading about this when I was in high school, I was like, that kind of seems, like, in a terrible way, kind of fucking rad if that would have happened and we survived this. But, again, I, that was me as the unnuanced moron that I was. That was Jake is an angsty teen. No, see, I didn't have the ha I didn't have the combed over hair, and I wasn't listening to like okay, but okay, like Green no, no, no. Day. We're gonna stop on this for a second because everybody has an angst phase, and I will always say that that is the I case. It doesn't necessarily mean that you were painting your nails black and wishing the world would die. Oh, everybody no understands me. Dad. I swear, everybody has some sort of angst phase. I will take that to my grave. I had angst phase maybe over the fate of the world when it was, like, revealed in middle school to us that we were probably not going to survive into the 3000s because of climate change. Um, See, then that, okay, but that counts. That's still angst. It's not angst in the commercial it's way. anxiety. <laughs> I'll call it my anxiety phase. So, anyway. Jake, you had angst! <laughs> so, at this point, they're kind of in full panic mode. They're like, oh, shit, we've just, we just lost something that we really didn't want to lose. And They're so panicking the and not at the disco this time. Dispatched a flotilla of about 36 ships after the MIA call to set out to search what it would be considered to be its ideal route in patrol sector. Again, this is a lot of ocean to cover. So these guys kind of don't know where the fuck to look. And the way that the Americans found out about it is kind of kind of chilling, at least the way I think about it. But Soviet naval logic dictated that a submarine in distress would surface and wait to be picked up. So what they were looking for was just a, a sub of theirs bobbing around, just waiting to get seen. And ideally, that was what they wanted to find. The Navy, on the other hand, the U.S. Navy, and also ever-present along the Soviet coast, picked up on the emergency deployment. The USS Barb, a permit-class nuclear submarine, was sitting off of Kamchatka Peninsula when the Soviets mobilized. The Barb's captain, Bernard Bubb, Cotterer, Coderer, maybe, I don't know, spoke of how the response was confusing at first. Quote, an entire subgroup racing group racing out of port with active sensor or active sonar going full bore, and no apparent concern for de 
being detected. So basically what he heard was just a, like a massive, or not a massive group, I'd say like a group of Soviet submarines with active sonar just pinging away looking for something that they didn't know where it was. Not really giving a shit that everybody knew that they were there. Noticing this unnatural behavior, the barbs captain ordered his boat to follow the submarine group. According to observations from the barbs crew, quote, the Soviet subs dove, resurfaced, then dove again, talking openly over the radio channels to fleet command and calling out again and again, Red Star, come in, Red Star, come in, Red Star. Now, uh, so let's, let's do dramatic reenactment. Red Star, come in! Red Star! <laughs> Red Star! <laughs> C-3PO! Red Star, stop fucking with us. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like, it was like, mom is scared now. Like, and, and it's kind of weird, like, thinking about them just, like, sh- like shouting it into the ether and not getting anything back is kind of, like, chilling to me when you think about it. Cause it's Red Star, like, you like, son of a bitch! <laughs> Red Five. At this point in the shadowing, though, the barb was ordered to stay on station to observe any further movements, because at that point, that submarine had picked up and went with the other guys to try and see what they were doing. But eventually, the BARB and the U.S. Naval Intelligence detected further surface deployments, two destroyers, three frigates, three minesweepers, two motherships, which were supply boats, and ten support vessels. All of those left the Kamchatka Peninsula for their search, pat- for their search patterns in the open Pacific. In the air, Soviet ASW planes with sea search radar also circled the group, ideally hoping to find them and direct them if they saw them from up high. The ships in the rescue group had the task of working day and night with echo locators, sonar, dragging photographic equipment, etc. to locate the vessel. However, as the rescue fleet spread out across the open sea, the weather met them naturally. Northern Pacific storms tossed the surface ships and submarines and effectively cut the air search out entirely. So what basically happened was they hit a a violent storm, got blinded by snow, gale force winds, and waves cresting at no less than 45 feet high. Um, something that is often bleakly noted in the region as, quote, phenomenal. <laughs> just a, just a, it's new. <laughs> like, oh, you know, that fucking wave's as big as a building. Fuck, that's different. Bro, that's fucking sick. Ever just a bunch of brewskis just token a doobie. Oh, dude, what if we're the wave, bro? bro what if? We're like a rubber <laughs> duck in a tub, bro. But what if the Cold War... Was like this wave, homie, and like. <laughs> Imagine a Russian dude saying the word homie. <laughs> Homs? What if, what if wave? Oh, is... shit. Oh, Victor. Oh, Vladimir, Vladimir, shut. Shh, shh. What if, uh, what if wave is. With this wave, ho- homie. Good life, man. Homie. Homs. Homie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, so in these abysmal conditions, the chances of anything being found, much less remaining afloat, were slender at best. And at the same time, as the Russians are surface searching, Lockheed, P-3 Orion ASW planes, these are Americans, are circling overhead, keeping it on the Soviet activity. And what is kind of funny is that the Soviets can't see them, they can only hear them. (laughs) So it's almost like the Americans are taunting them. (laughs) But as the Soviets desperately searched K-129's patrol route, the searchers were confronted with a major hurdle. Despite knowing a vague understanding of the sub's position anywhere after the communication failure was a mystery. They didn't know, after the last communication point they had on a map, where the fuck the sub went, and it could be anywhere. And again, this is the ocean, so we don't know shit about anything. Tides, any of that shit. We don't know where this thing's gone. If it's on the bottom, we don't know where it's sitting. If it's on the surface, we don't know what condition it's in. K-129's final position marker, marker, sorry, March 7th, on its way to the Hawaii patrol station, meant that the initial search area was no less than 800,000 square miles of open ocean. And if the sub had sunk for whatever reason, most of that in areas was going down like four miles. So any chance of getting them out alive is probably slender at best. And again, it's like a needle in a haystack, literally. Cool. Rock and roll. (laughs) If anybody's wondering what that sound is, Lucas just knocked his metal straw off his desk and into his trash can. Uh, there's the needle the haystack There you go. You. The problem I with found that, it. see, the thing is this, and, and here for you to kind of maybe appreciate the gravitas of how little they were going to succeed in finding it, is once the initial search pattern of those 800,000 miles failed, they had to open up the search pattern to a wider area 
to try to and find keep something. Keep in mind, this is difficult because submarines are underwater. Most cases. <laughs> so, like, it's a tiny thing compared to the vastness of the sea. It's sort of, okay, so to give an example, it's almost like, what, what would you say? Like, give it like a give a volume example. Like, I like, think of it something like someone could fuck up in real life and then have to try to have to try to find. It is literally like if you had to lose a wedding ring in your front yard. Or like and you like, had no idea. Well, like, where maybe it was if you like tall grass. if you lost like a hamster and you had to search a whole skyscraper. Pretty much, <laughs> you lost you lost your phone and you have to search a city block. You lost like, that's how big. you lost struggles in the Empire State Building. Oh my God. No, not struggles. <laughs> He's on the third floor. <laughs> The problem is that Where on the third that the problem with that was it was already like that, and then they had to jump it from a fucking Empire State Building to all of kind of lower Manhattan because yeah. eventually they had to spread the wide search range out to just about a million square well, miles. Well, and keep in mind that this thing might be moving as well, so it, it's, yeah, it's if, not even that if it's, it's dead in the water; it's floating along with the current. So this thing is just yeah. going, and it's a million square miles of, of open water they got to look for. And if this thing's fucking sunk, there's no chance you're gonna find anybody surviving on the open. Like this is a this is literally a submariner's worst nightmare outside of crush depth. If you think of like going so deep, the submarine just fucking implodes. Like that's so, terrifying. To summarize, so far we've got a country freaking the fuck out because they have a submarine that they can't find with like yeah. with capabilities. Um, Blowing like, a small American city off. Yes, the map. and then you have <laughs> submariners who, to this point, all we know is the fact that they might be. Fucking scared for their lives, just floating out in the floating middle of an ocean. An open ocean. Um, and then we yeah. have America potentially probably freaking out because there's a no Russian submarine the that they don't know. Where. We got a whole fucking. This is not good. I mean, it's pretty much like when one person silent farts in the car and the windows are locked. Like everybody's panicking. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Yeah, no, that's that's a terrible analogy, but I'm gonna stick with it. I'm just gonna let you paint yourself into a wall. That's fine. No, I think people will relate to that. <laughs> All signs pointed to a catastrophic ending for the submarine, and it became more and more likely that K-129 was laying sh as a shattered wreck on the bottom somewhere. Which, I guess to the Russians, while it's terrifying, they could sweep it under the rug and say, What submarine? What are you talking about? 83 people? I don't fucking know. I mean, in a way, to them, it, it may not have been gratifying, but it may have been at least slightly calming that if the sub was down that far, there was no way of anybody getting to it. And if it was destroyed, I mean, there was far, hardly anything useful down there. Unable to make any forward progress on finding the submarine, the Soviet Navy considered the boat lost with all hands, and Moscow and the Ministry of Defense pretty much struck the, reg the vessel from the Navy registry and effectively considered the ship and its crew non <laughs> So basically, they're just like, that never existed. That they literally just said, fucking didn't exist. I didn't see it. Didn't happen. Like, <laughs> no proof. Let's, let's also not forget these are the same types of people that thought biology didn't exist for about a many years. Oh, so. yes. Absolutely. And the same people... Shut up, let's think it was... May I just remind you that when we talk about the death of Stalin, <laughs> censoring, pretty fucking popular there. Um, and that's kind of where they left it. They assumed as much that this thing was lost, that no one would find it, that the crew was dead, the crew no longer existed, the families got a pension, but it was meager at best, and... It was hardly enough to live on. It was very much almost more of an insult than anything for what they got. Because ideally, if these guys died in the line of duty, their next of kin was supposed to receive a payment for the government. Except they didn't get a payment from the government. They got a meager pension, and that was it. Of course, because the government will not admit that these people even existed. Yeah. So how the fuck are they supposed to get a payment? Exactly. Now we enter the Americans. But let me ask you, In Lucas, the right corner. <laughs> let me ask you, Lucas, this question. What do Americans' yeah. microphones and sand dollars have to do with anything that we've been fucking talking about? Wait, what? Microphones and... Sand dollars. <laughs> what is, sand? What do you fucking mean by sand dollars? Let me tell you. <laughs> anyway. So, while the Russians blindly searched that a million square miles of ocean, the Navy had a hidden ace in the hole. As the U.S. is known, as want to be known, we are often cases more technologically advanced than the Russians, at least in the Cold War. When it comes to this, hey, don't laugh at that shit. We have the Nazis to thank for that, and I don't know how I feel about it. No, we do have the Nazis to thank for that, which is really sad. So, hey, shout out to the next series we're going to be doing. Shout out. Yeah. Ow, that fucking hurt. All right. Project Paperclip. Oh! <laughs>
Yankee Flipper. What we're going to do next episode is we're going to do Project Paperclip where Lucas Uh, just smokes a fucking bong like Elon Musk on a Joe Rogan episode (laughs) and gets high while I talk about space. Going to have a kid that I'm going to name something bizarre and put a couple numbers in his name. MGM Grand. Can name my kid fucking um, XM twenty five. Can name my kid Prairie Dog seventy five. Explanation just point. Sounds like a fucking like Microsoft user who name. No, sounds like a gamertag Prairie Dog seventy five. Explanation yeah, like a Microsoft point. Microsoft gamertag. <laughs> so the U.S. Navy intelligence had learned of the Soviet rescue effort from the Barb, and considering that, <laughs> assuming there was some kind of acoustic signature of a submarine probably going missing. The Navy decided they could look into some avenues that might help them to figure out what it was exactly had happened. Officials of naval intelligence in in the Navy and in the Air Force had called up the main facility of the U.S. SOSIS array in the area of the North Pacific. Lucas, have you heard of SOSIS before? No, I have not. What is SOSIS, Jake? SOSIS is kind of a neat little thing that we had. It was a toy, to say the least. We, when the idea of launching missiles from submarines became a thing in the 50s, and the whole rocket age had come around, America got very concerned about the fact that a submarine carrying ballistic missiles could just, like, head out to port, lay off our coast, and pick off two or three major cities pretty much with impunity. So what had happened was the government decided to go along with this idea of laying a whole line of acoustic microphones that would sit under the water and pick up the submarines as they were heading to their patrol zones. Okay. So basically, we would have a line of microphones off the Russian coast, and then we would have them somewhere else, maybe along, like, the U.S. coast. Ideally so that anywhere they went, the we could keep tabs on these submarines. Okay. So it was this very secretive project to basically have the the idea of putting your ear against the door without the Russians knowing that we knew that where their submarines were going or what they were doing. Sounds like a sounds like a pipe dream, but yes. No, it, it's an actual thing, and it, kill, it still exists. Huh? Oceanographic institutes use it for animal stuff now. It's not as widely. Used. <laughs> no, it's not a war weapon. Now we use it to track the mantis. We them pretty much. They used it to track whales. There was a thing I was reading about Sosis that they called something like a sea monster that just turned out to be whales fucking, and they didn't know that sound. <laughs> Literally didn't know, and it was just like it, it, these. There was just a group of people that would just listen to the recording. Turns out the Loch Ness Monster's just a bunch of big fishes just getting it on. Getting it. Just getting it. <laughs> just fucking getting it. Yeah. So, with the Sosis Array idea in hand, the main gate, or sorry, the main goal of this move was to review the recordings on the 8th of March of 68 in order to determine if there was any strange sort of audio anomalies in the tapes. Because normally, if it's just sitting there, it's just picking up nothing. But if you hear a fucking bang in the water, if you know anything about sound and, and mediums, the ocean carries sound pretty far, that there's going to hear something that's out of place. So they retrieved data from four Air Force sensor sites and the SOSA system out of Adak, Alaska. And basically this indicated that there was a significant acoustic signal that had been recorded on the 11th of March 1968 that appeared to those reviewing it to be that of a small explosion or an implosion around 11.59 local time. So that's interesting to them because they're like, oh, fuck, that's odd. Because they know, obviously, it's nothing of theirs. And if they're looking for a submarine, a bang in the middle of the ocean usually isn't a good sign. So using that data within the recordings, intelligence officers and aquatic sound specialists were able to triangulate the probable blast location and came to the conclusion that because of the, quote, good-sized bang occurred <laughs> at 40 degrees north, 180 degrees longitude, and that's, again, kind of where the map comes in, that the K-129 had to be ideally in that general area. So enter Operation Sand Dollar. Well, in order to get an idea of the condition of the submarine and to actually know for sure where it was, they needed to correctly ID the wreckage. They assumed pretty correctly that the submarine was fucked, and so was the crew, unfortunately, but they had to know what condition this boat was in, because if the Russians had given up looking for it and the Americans could somehow find a semi-intact nuclear ballistic missile submarine on the bottom, that was an intel treasure chest that they were not going to pass Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of dudes in the CIA, when they heard that, they got stiffies almost immediately. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> You're talking about a submarine on the ocean floor? <laughs> anyway. Johnson! <laughs> Johnson, come in here! 
This guy just runs in, sees the memo, just, oh! It's <laughs> <gets> really <laughs> weird. Anyway, so in order to ID it, they had to, again, ask the Navy to step in to provide assistance. The Navy provided the USS Halibut. Now, Halibut? Halibut, yeah. Fucking fish! It's a fish. USS Halibut. I just remember you said Halibut, I was thinking of Gordon Ramsay in Hell's Kitchen. It's Where's fucking my... raw! Where's the Halibut? Where's the lamb sauce? <laughs> and so, the way that the Halibut was special for the job it was being asked was that yeah, it was originally a nuclear-powered guided missile sub and was one of the first of its kind at the time, but the... Naval intelligence and the CIA had basically turned this into a spec ops platform. So if you needed to drop, say, Navy SEALs in a port to take photographs and do whatever, or they needed to send this in to, like, tap, you know, into communication lines and do whatever, the halibut was the one for the job. Send that fish in. Yeah, send that bitch deep with its two eyes on the side of its head. <laughs> and it can't see anywhere but up. You only see success. Pretty much. <laughs> The Halibut was pretty successful using the location that they had. They found the wreck about 16,000 feet, four, or 4,900 meters down on the bottom. So that's pretty fucking deep. Pretty deep, yes. Pretty fucking, that's pretty deep. Pretty fucking deep, That's bro. kind of meta, bro. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Not sponsored by meta. Uh, no, fuck that I company. I would like that fucking robot to stay away from me. Thank you. Anyway, the fact was this. That the halibut had successfully located the submarine, there began the task of surveying the site. Because if they, they were going to be able to get anything from it, they kind of needed to know what condition the boat was in. If it was a mangled mass of steel on the bottom, that wasn't much use to them. According to accounts of what occurred, the halibut was able to capture about 20,000 close-up photos. And when I do put this on the website, I have the pictures specifically of... What they captured was basically the front and what was called the sail, which is just the conning tower section, which was intact, which was a fucking big deal because that area of the sub is the area most of the important shit sits in. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So in that case, they basically were like, fuck, yes. Now they have gone full mast. These CIA guys are completely hard. Oh, God. I gotta. Oh, I God. can't be wearing sweatpants. <laughs> I'm wearing dress pants. It's constricting me. <laughs> anyway. So, the next stage of this was once the pictures came back and they knew what condition the boat was in, they had to come along with another way of... Sorry, I fucking fucked that up so bad. <laughs> sorry. The next stage of the story would come along later. And there remains the fact that a nuclear-armed ballistic missile submarine would sink within this possible patrol range. So, one of the things... Oh, I fucked this. What the fuck? Interesting. Huh. Oh, sorry. I'm reading this weird. Sorry, my bad. Uh, my notes got me confused. You sound like a 70-year-old grandpa for your second. Like, huh? Hey. What? Hey. Hey. 75? <laughs> Seven. What? Yeah, I'm doing this my whole life. Anyway. That's what you sounded like. Just completely stupid. So, from there... Sorry. <laughs> the shit fucking transition. But, with them knowing where the sub was... We move into Project Azorian probably in the next episode. Yes. But where we're at, it looks like, Lucas, if you're willing, we mm -hmm. might just have enough time for theories if you want. You know, as, you much as, as much as I'd like to melt my brain today, I think uh, we're going to be mean and we'll save that for next episode. Or the end of the second episode. But I want to leave us off with this. The fact is this, and this is the mystery of it because... Again, where there's a vacuum of facts that conspiracy theories tend to jump into. Well, and, okay. Conspiracy theories, as we've talked about so far on this show, all stem from things that we cannot explain and reasons that people want to make up for those things. It's the human need to explain something that they don't understand. Yes. All right. And in that case, basically, what ended up happening was... In the end, the official line was that a missile submarine had gone missing, had sunk within its possible patrol range with no understanding of what had actually caused the sinking. And at the time, Soviet naval hypothesis laid the blame on the K-129's demise on the fact that, being that the Gulf II relied on things like constant oxygen flow and the need to recharge its batteries without surfacing, the sub might have been operating in what was called snorkel mode, where they basically stuck a tube in the air above the surface to draw in oxygen, change it out, and 
through operator error or mechanical failure, the boat slipped in below that depth and the water just started getting sucked into the boat. And then, I mean, also, if you think about, like, some of the conspiracies that could form from things like this. Yeah. You think about why that might happen. You have the Russians saying this boat didn't exist at all, just yeah. taking it from the record. You have and people, the crew ceasing to exist. The crew ceasing to exist. And you hear people in the U.S. hearing about all this shit. They're in the middle of literally, quite possibly, the craziest and most conspiracy-ridden type time oh, of the yeah. Cold War, where you, you're just coming out of things like communist trials in the Senate <laughs> like, and, and you're a couple years into back, things and like the fucking death of major political figures like MLK yeah, and, and RFK and John and, F. And, J and JFK, yeah. And you have all this shit Malcolm going on. <laughs> like, it's quite possible that people are going to be like, okay, I'll just connect it. Some like, of this is fucked. Yeah. yeah. So the fact was this, and, and it would make And we sense. will do a JFK series one, one day. At one point. One when we, day. When we feel it is worth it. It's just going to be a lot, it's going to take us a lot of time. But yes. The fact is this, is that. And to lay it for next episode is that whatever happened, the Russian theory en masse is not accepted. The idea of a very experienced captain and crew fucking up like that seems very below. Seems fishy. Yeah. Ha! <laughs> and they just want us to believe that that just, that sub just went over the rainbow bridge. And, we'll eat, we'll and that's what they want you to think next episode. Jake <laughs> just hits his headphones off. Anyway, we really appreciate you listening to this episode. You're going to have to catch next episode to hear more on this one. Jake, um, we really appreciate you doing this awesome research. Thanks for bringing this only the way that you could because yeah. there's no way in hell that I would have gotten this far in this it's story. It's an interesting and story. And it's very, yeah. very interesting for sure. So. Also, if you are listening to this episode, maybe check out our episode on Bonnie and Clyde. I know that one's been a little bit low in the, the listenership, and okay. that's not anybody's fault, but well, we really would like to push it's, that episode. It's very, because it's very good. And it's long, but it's very, very good. If yeah. you're interested in any of the, uh, Highly recommend that. If you're interested in any of the, like, mid, uh, and, like, early 1920s or 1930s, like, that's gangster great scene. Depression era or just, like, crime. you like to hear some, yeah, you like to hear true crime. Check it out. It's, it's a good listen. Um, we have a great guest on that one. Your worst nightmare um, podcast, I believe it's called. Yep. Um, and we have, we had Audrey from that podcast, and we're gonna be collaborating with them in the future, probably. So. Oh, do you um, wanna? We should probably keep that a secret, maybe. Well, maybe. All I said was maybe. Let's just say maybe it involves a certain man in a certain house. Yep. And that's all we're gonna leave it at. So we really appreciate you taking a listen, and uh, we hope you're all doing well out there. And we'll be back with you soon. Adios, comrades. <laughs>